Welcome, everybody, to Strife Sanctum. And this week, I'm going to do my best to get through a cold. So, here's hoping I do my best. The reason I'm pushing through it is because today's episode is going to be very pertinent to something that's coming out on Friday. That being a live-action version of the anime we're talking about today, Cowboy Bebop. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about this now was not just because it's coming out on Friday, but because Cowboy Bebop represents my favorite anime ever. When it first came out, again, this is back in that time frame where I was staying up late and watching shows at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, midnight on Toonami, Adult Swim, that sort of thing. And Cowboy Bebop Colony always sat in that rarefied air that even though there was some good stuff like Big O, Trigun, Loop on the Third, all that kind of stuff, or even on G4 you'd have some good anime, Cowboy Bebop was different to me. And it didn't really hit me until, you know, a couple of years later where I was just like, you know, nothing's as good as this. And I, and I think one of the things that sets it apart, and one of the things, and I'm going to bring in the live action when I try to explain what I'm hoping it becomes versus what it probably is. Note I have not seen any reviews of it. I've heard some reports that say they're disappointing or somewhat good. It's not a train wreck or whatever. So that's all I know, right? I don't know anything about the actors or what they're going for. I haven't seen any of the tra the trailers. I'm trying to go in as blind as I can. But I did watch Bebop again last week just to reaffirm what I already knew was that Bebop was my favorite anime. And it still is. But I think for me, what the main thing comes down to is that this is, like, the only show that I could, like, show Western audiences or, like, my, my parents. Like, I showed them to my parents and they were like, yeah, this isn't anime. This is just a space drama. This is just, like, Star Trek or Star Wars or something like that. You know, there isn't the, oh, my God, you can tell this is, like, anime vibe to it. The... You know, again, it's not like, I'm not trying to make it sound demeaning or anything, but I'm I'm trying to get across the idea that Bebop, as it's presented, is an adult cartoon show, an adult anime. It just exists in Japan, but none of the, like, we're in a school system, or we're, you know, in mech suits, or we're in whatever, all of the tropes and all of the things, not like even the naming conventions aren't like fully Japanese, right? So you can't just say, oh, it's set in Japan, so it has all this other stuff going on. Bebop, to me, feels such like an easy translation to an American audience. And you could say maybe Trigun does too, but I think Trigun misses the mark because it tries to be too comedic. I think Bebop works best because outside of like one or two characters and one or two instances where they're trying to be comedic and stupid just for the sake of lightening the mood, this show is a lot more serious and in a good way. A lot of the humor is very dry. They'll have like a, a saying or just something that they do that doesn't come off as hackneyed. It, it feels earned or, you know, something happens to the characters and it feels like 
it's it's a nice change of pace, almost like a Marvel movie where you know they do the big action scene and then Hulk punches Thor and you get a laugh, you know that sort of thing. It, it doesn't overstay its welcome. And I always felt that if I was going to show somebody an anime, I would show them Bebop, because nothing about it screams Japan like right in your face. In a in a good way, and in, you know. Again, I'm trying to describe it without coming off, because I'm an anime fan, true, but I'm not going to show them every single thing in the world. Like, I tried to show them, what, Elf and Lead or something. That was a mistake. I mean, I thought it would be gruesome and fun, and it turned out to be, eh, no. You know, maybe something like Kino's Journey or Musishi or something like that. But even those are kind of like, you know, they're dramatic, but they're, you know, a lot stiffer. Uh, Bebop tends to have like a good mix of drama, a good mix of action, and then the comedy is dry humor that I think anybody can get into. And the legacy of it, the legacy of it is it's not the biggest named anime ever, but everybody knows what it is. Because you hear the opening theme or you hear the ending theme, the real folk blues or tank, you're just like, all right. I know what this is. I know what this is trying to be. I know what anybody's talking about. I mean, there was a poll like a year ago, just like Adult Swim or Toonami was just like, hey, let's put all of our anime in a tournament, you know, just a fan tournament or whatever. And so for 20 years, what was the best anime, right? And Bebop won. Bebop beat out, you know, stuff like Hero Academia, One Piece, and Naruto, or whatever. I don't know which ones were all in there, but I know it beat out Academia, right? And Academia, you know, before Demon Slayer came out, was, like, the big thing. So, for Bebop to stand the test of time and be, like, everybody's critical favorite, it's one of those rarefied things like a ghost in the shell, where everybody respects it and everybody knows it, even if it's not the most popular thing in the world, it still stands there as a pillar of this is what we remember, and this is what you have to compare everything to. And this is the issue that they're going to come across when they're trying to do the live action. Because I think that they can translate it, and by all accounts, they're going to do their best to keep the like visual style and the characters, it looks like. But there are things that you can't do in live action that I think are going to be a struggle. And I, do, I will go over that as I talk about it, but I do want to get into, let's see, do I go with characters first or do I, ah, let's go with characters first because really this show boils down to their characters and the storylines that they are presented with. And then we get into the visuals and the plot because honestly the plot doesn't matter a whole lot. The way this show is structured, there isn't a lot of plot to be mind there are many series stories but throughout the 26 episode thing you don't have you have one overarching five episode plot that involves spike but everything else is like two or three episodes here and there but they splice them in different places so you get this like feel that bebop is this living breathing like we're traveling and we're doing everything that we can to deal with our lives as bounty hunters, and in most cases, struggling bounty hunters. I think that's one of the funny things I enjoy about this is they are struggling bounty hunters. But let's get to that later. Um, the 
real key to this show is Spike Spiegel. And he was voiced by Steve Bloom. And again, I'm using the English characters. If you're a fan of the Japanese, that's fine. I'm coming from it from an English perspective, and then I've always done it. So anyway, that's where that is. But Steve Bloom, we talked about him with Big L, and we've talked about him with other shows, and we're going to talk about him with other shows and games. But this was what put him on the map as the biggest name in anime voice acting. And it's no secret why. Spike Spiegel is just amazing. He he takes Bruce Lee and adds some style to it. Like he his way of just oozing like the slacker slash super awesome kickboxing kung fu dude. Like kick, they they don't even describe what his martial art is, but you can tell it's Bruce Lee all and through because he makes a reference in one of the episodes. He's like water and he just uses people's force against them, you know? So he's doing all these like crazy moves and kicks and punches and stuff. And he's really good at it. The reason is because he's a former member of the red dragons, one of the main mafias. And it's like, he learned how to wield a gun and how to blow shit up. And he knows how to do it. Um, he comes across as not very stern, but he has his moments. He also has these like things where he hates pets, he hates women, and he hates um, kids. So he just yells every time. I think the funniest part sometimes, other than him just knowing that he's got the bounties and he's got their number because he's always fucking with them, is that every so often he does blow his top. And he comes off as a bit of a whiny dickhead. But it's not enough that he comes off as a priss. He's just, I'm pissed off right now. What are you doing? This is such bullshit. You know, because he's not the leader of the Bebop. That's Jet, right? But again, Spike is the main character. And his storyline is the main storyline. And that's where it comes to. is Because you have that cool factor. And... While not everything works in Bebop, I feel everything revolves around Spike to the point where even though episodes aren't Spike-related, in most cases, he's the one that the show revolves around. So he's always going to be dealing with the hired hitman. He's going to be dealing with the crazy stuff where he's going to react to what Jet or Faye or Ed are going to do in their stories. So he's always an ever-present force. And, you know... Especially on the funnier episodes, he gets to show off some of the, you know, just these little reactions and just, again, talking crazy, being a bit of a mopey idiot, you know, wondering why he's sitting there uh, walking a dog, you know, things like that shit that he knows he doesn't want to do, but he has to because he needs to make money. Um, So his main storyline revolves around the Red Dragons, and we'll get to that later as that's the core of the, like, Think of it as a five episodes turned into a movie, and then everything else is just stuff around there. But Spike is part of like 10 or 15 other episodes um, specifically, and will always be an ever-present main character. And Jet Black, voiced by Bo Billingsley, and he was Barrett in Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. In this, he's just this big ex-cop ex-detective, you know, owner of the Bebop and whatnot. He is just this big, 
burly old guy with an interesting fashion sense and an interesting facial hair. Like, I don't know how he does the the beard with the spikes going up his chin with the spikes going out of his chin, but it works, I guess. Um, and he's got like a V-shaped mohawk in the back. It's like a weird, and he's all bald on top. It's weird. Um, but he's also got a prosthetic arm. And his storyline does revolve around that. So his two or three story arcs end up becoming his life as a member of the ISSP. So he has the backdrop of he was a former police officer, hit gone wrong, and now he's a bounty hunter. And he doesn't take shit from nobody. That said, he does kind of become a doormat because uh, Jet and or uh, Spike and Faye are always just kind of walking over him. But he still demands respect, you know, much like those characters should. He's the older guy. He's the veteran. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to hack systems. Not like Edward does, but he's a good hacker. He's a giant man, so he knows how to beat the shit out of dudes. He knows how to be a stern presence, and he knows how to lead a ship and still, like, manage things but he's got like little interesting quirks like he um he knows how to cook so he's the main cook of the ship he's got the like i said he's a mini bit of a hacker he's good at detective work he's good at trailing and tracking dudes and he's also good at you know taking care of bonsai trees that's like his main thing is taking care of bonsai trees it's like a meditation sort of thing so he's got these little nuances to him outside of his just I'm the big, bald, burly guy. And he leads the ship, but he lets Spike and Faye do their thing enough that it's like, okay. It's it's a merry band of misfit dudes and ladies. So he lives with it and knows that shit goes south and he can't do anything about it. Speaking of things they can't really do anything about, there's Faye Valentine, voiced by Wendy Lee. And this is what she's mostly known for, but again, Wendy's been in practically everything. Again, she was uh, Haruhi Susumiya. She was, oh God, so many other things. And, you know, so it's one of those things where I saw her in a lot of other stuff first, but then, you know, this is what she's known for. And it's like, what does she bring to this show? And Faye Valentine is such a unique presence because she has that, like, sex appeal. She is the sex appeal of the group. But she's very moody. She is very whiny. She is very, like, laissez-faire in most cases because she's a gambler. She's just kind of, sto- you know, just annoyed to be around these two guys. And I don't think they ever like go after her for any, you know, it's not like they're fawning over her or anything. They're just like wise to her bullshit because she is this femme fatale kind of person. And it's like, it's almost like a front because her storyline is one of the best in the show because she was cryogenically frozen due to an illness or a plane crash or something they couldn't fix her up until 50 years in the future. And this show is set in 2071, though being now 2021, they might update it to be like 2090 or whatever, 3000 or 2100 or something. But suffice to say, 50 years goes by, she gets unfrozen and is stuck with a crazy 300 million debt. And 
she can't really pay that because who can pay three hundred million, right? So she ends up gambling, or she ends up going to the bounty hunting life. And again, she is a femme fatale, and she is very, very, very pretty, but in a in a way that people like aren't fawning over her too much. Unless she's using it specifically to get something. She does use it occasionally, or they do focus on it as a joke. But Faye works best when the facade kind of breaks. When you start seeing and hearing stuff about her life. And I think my favorite episode is uh, number 22, I think. Or no, uh, episode 18. It's Speak Like a Child. So episode 18 is Speak Like a Child, where they go and they find this like old video cassette, this old beta cassette, if that's going back super far. They go through all this trouble to find it, and they find out that it was a time capsule of kids, and one was sent to Faye because she wrote it. And seeing her reaction to her past life, and then leading to a later episode where she gets her memories back and the the result of it i'm not going to spoil a whole lot you know for people who haven't seen it but the just the idea of Faye as this person who has this like gambler's aura this femme fatale like she's putting on a front because she doesn't know who she is and then you see it break on occasion it really does add a lot to bebop as a crew knowing that Faye herself isn't one-dimensional because Spike isn't one-dimensional, Jed isn't one-dimensional, and neither is Faye. So it really helps. Uh, We also have Ayn, a Welsh corgi. But the cool thing about Ayn is, aside from being an awesome, cute little dog, he was genetically engineered to be a data dog. And it doesn't manifest a whole lot, but there are instances, very slight instances, where the dog is able to, like, do this crazy hacking gimmick or, like, figure out how to escape. You know, he's a smart, smart dog. And I don't know how they're going to translate that, but I imagine it's just, hey, let's get ourselves a quirky and let's have him do some cool shit. You know, almost like... um like Morris from Shang-Chi, but as a corgi instead of a instead of a winged two-butt animal, right? Because um, that's what it's going to look like. It's going to look like Morris from Shang-Chi, but as a corgi. Um, at least I would hope, you know. But Ayn is there, you know, he's Jet's um, dog for a while until Radical Edward shows up. And Radical Edward shows up in episode nine, and she's voiced by Melissa Fawn. And this was the... This is the uh, character I know her best from, but she's been in stuff like Fooly Cooly. She's been in a couple of the Castlevania games. She's been a a relatively high-end voice actor for a long time, much like all the other people in the show. And again, the dub of this show is really freaking good. I know a lot of people don't don't like dubs. Whatever. I love this. And they do a really good job. And Edward, if there's one thing I'm going to say as a, as a trouble, as a trouble spot for the live action. And I, again, I don't know how they're going to process it. And I don't know how they're going to shoot it. Radical Edward as a character is going to be the hardest thing to translate to live action. The reason being is not because she's a hacker and she's a crazy, you know, energetic. It's the fact that 
in said energy, she bounces around the room. She's like a super ball bouncing from one room to the next. She'll like fall from the floor and then start rolling around or she'll start making like jittering movements or she'll start walking weird. You know, it's not about her outfit or how she talks or how she acts. It's about how the movement is responding. You can do that in animation just fine. She's bouncing around the room and, you know, doing crazy stuff. But translating that to live action, should they get a episode or season two? And again, that's the issue is people are like, where's Ed? And I'm sitting here thinking, well, how are you going to translate this character that bounces around the room in live action without it kind of seeing really weird? Because it's like that uh, thing in Family Guy where uh, Stewie goes to Disney World and he's like bouncing across the screen in like no seconds flat. Edward does that sort of stuff. Every once in a while, she spin around or she'll do some crazy, um, you know, she's there as comic relief. So I wonder how that character is going to translate to live action. That being said, in the in the animated version, she's there as comic relief. There is no doubt about it. Her manic, crazy action is there to be, you know, she'll use her hacking skills here and there to find bounties. But in most cases, she's there to just make weird noises she's there to just say stupid shit and that's fun because the other three characters and i to a certain degree don't you're not gonna have spike jet or Faye make comedic noises and funny weird shit so they needed somebody to balance that off of that being said edward is there for fun she gets a couple episodes to herself to just be there and have fun and maybe capture a bounty for herself. And her final episode is great, and it leads to one of the more poignant moments of the series and one of the best music tracks in, in the show, Call Me, Call Me. But other than that, she's there just to balance out the other character's drama and action because you need that kind of balance. Um, That being said... The last two characters are a, are a package deal. They add into Spike's storyline and the uh, beginning and ending of the show. We have Vicious, voiced by Skip uh, Stelrecht, who, uh, oddly enough, you'll think I'm I'm making this up, but he was Ryu in Stri uh, Street Fighter 2V. Yes, there was an anime of Street Fighter, and yes, there was a Ryu, and yes, there was a voice actor who did his voice, so that's where that was from. So Vicious is not a leader, but a very cold, calculating man in the member of the Red Dragons that Spike was a part of. And man, he's just, I will do whatever I want to do and kill whatever I have to kill in the name of my own goals. And it's not like he's power hungry, he is, but it's more in that just menacing, stoic way where you don't know what he's going to do, and you mostly assume it's going to be around stabbing people with a sword, which he's very good at. And he cuts that image where you see him and you're like, oh, this is bad news. So then his story also revolves around Spike because they were together. They also revolve around Julia, who is voiced by Mary Elizabeth McGlynn who is the major in the animated series uh, Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. That's when I know her most from, but she was Julia in this. Julia shows up as a character that is mysterious. And I do kind of feel that 
they could have expanded on it, and that's that might be what they do in the live action show is expand on the vicious Spike and Julia angle. I don't know if they're going to, but they might. But Julia acts as somebody who knows both Spike and Vicious. And it seems like she slept with both. She has feelings for both. She's a part of the Red Dragons, but she's not. I. It's, it's vague. And that is something that is vague about their storyline, and it's kept vague. But Spike and Vicious hate each other, as you would imagine, and... Julie is caught in the middle of all of it. And everybody gets caught in the middle of that issue when it, when those episodes come up. The weird thing about the show is it's episodic. So they don't have Spike talking about Vicious every single episode. They don't have him talking about Julia. They only focus on it in those four or five episodes. And it's a weird disconnect, but I do enjoy it because it does give you something else to focus on. There is no... I mean, the A-plot is the Spike and Vicious stuff, but it's left to their own episodes later on in the series, and you get to do all the stuff. You get to focus on Jet for a little while. You get to focus on Faye, and you get to bounce around a little bit, and everybody kind of meets in the middle once you have the important episodes, the main storyline again. Kind of like how Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex had their Laughing Man storyline and then a bunch of other interstitial episodes in there. That's the best way I could describe it. Um, so the idea with Bebop is it's set 50 years in the future from today. At the time, it was 75 years. So 2071. And the planet of Mars has been colonized, as has Earth. But Earth is in a bad shape because of meteors and shit. But a lot of different planets have been colonized as well. And they have these working spaceships and space travel and gate systems and all this fun stuff. But it feels like very hefty. The cool thing about this show was it was made back in 1997, 1998, where, you know, they still had like a lot of like heft. Everything meant something. I talked about this with Big O, where. The big mech fights did a lot of damage. The, they felt weighty. They felt responsive. They felt like they were there tearing shit up. The spaceships and the space travel and space in general feel lived in. The action scenes aren't so like crazy CG that it's like, oh, they don't look like they're actually flying. This is like old school shit that looks like they put a lot of effort into building these machines. So it's cool to see all these machinations in the space opera kind of thing. So you've got this crime drama stuff and this bounty hunting stuff in this world of space that goes to different um, planets and different star systems and things like that. And they do talk about the science of it here and there, um, but not so much that it's over-boring and, and, you know, technical. They still have a lot of fun with it. Um, as I said before, Jet is part of the IS was part of the ISSP, the Intersolar System Police, and that comes into play sometimes when he's you know getting inf information or talking with friends and stuff. But you have all this crazy stuff with these mobsters like the uh, Red Dragon. There are some other ones there, but it's it's, it's typical stuff. Um, but I'm liking the fact that everything is dark and gritty and weighty. 
but it's never not against having a little bit of comedy. I said before that Ed is there for comic relief. You'll have these instances where stuff happens to either the characters or the bounty heads and they have fun with it. Or they'll uh, spend some time showing the bounty hunter show um, with the hosts, Ponch and Judy. And, you know, they're just having a good laugh talking about bounty heads. They're like an old Western kind of vibe. So it's like a spaghetti Western in a space show, you know. So stuff feels important stuff feels weighty even in the interstitial episodes everything is given weight because they focus on the drama they focus on the comedy and the action but none of it feels forced you know and if i was to say there was like one main issue and you can argue whether it's an issue or not it's the fact that spike julia and vicious only get five episodes to themselves and to be honest, they don't really explain a lot of their backdrop. They do a thing where they let the viewer kind of fill in the dots. Where, yeah, they tell you they're the Red Dragons. They tell you they've been together. They tell you things about Vicious and whatnot. Or he is subordinate to these like little weird old guys, you know, who lead the Red Dragons for a while. And Julia's caught in the middle of all this. Or Spike was trying to break free and, you know, shit like that. So these little instances of, like, they don't tell you everything that goes on in the storyline. They in have you infer from knowledge of mafia, crime movies, bounty hunter movies, westerns, that sort of thing, that you know what you're getting into. We don't need to explain it all. You can kind of gauge from the way they react to each other that this shit's real, that this shit, they hate each other, or they're you know in love with each other, or whatever. It's a lot of like inf inferences that you can make, so they don't go on explaining everything. Do I think that's the way they should have done it? I don't know. Do th they should have maybe... Like, if they made this its own movie and not disconnected from the other 20 episodes, it would have been interesting. That being said, I don't know if that would have been effective either, because if you'd put the final five episodes with Vicious in there at the end, what would that have done to the pacing of the rest of it? I don't know. So, to me, it's like... You you have a double-edged sword. You don't explain everything, but you expect us to do it, which most people watching this would be smart enough. Nothing that they do is out of the ordinary. If you've seen a mobster movie, you know what you're getting into. But I do feel that if the live action is going to go somewhere, they might want to have to, have to explain like the inner workings of this mob, the inner workings of why Spike and Vicious were together, or why Vicious and Julia were together, or why... There's a pseudo love triangle sort of thing going on and why it made sense. The, they're left in the background. And I don't know if they had time to explain it or if they wanted to do another episode or two to explain it. Like one of those flashback episodes. It's like a flashback episode that is only like three or four minutes long. Right, as opposed to a full episode to give you the explanation as to every single thing that happened to them. Which is fair. To me, I find that a little bit of a problem. But again, the older I get, the less I'm worried about it. Because it's still... You infer things from it. And and I do think certain episodes didn't need to be there. You could have cut you know, an episode or two. I would have said maybe 
Andy the bounty hunter on the horse and the, have the jokey guy or one of Ed's episodes, you know, but then you cut out of Ed's episode and whatever. So what would you cut out to do that stuff, you know, so that draws the line. So as far as the live action goes, what do I expect? Well, from all reports, I'm expecting a train wreck, but people are saying it's not terrible. That being said, I don't know how you can translate every single thing to a live action. The one thing is how do you translate Ed and all her bounciness and all her fluffiness and all her just jittery Super Bowl nonsense in live action? Maybe that's why they took another season, if they get another one, to not even do that. Maybe they're focusing solely on the main three to build up the drama and the action as opposed to the comedy, which is fair. That's what Bebop is best at. You don't need comedy. Now, I don't want it to not be comedic, but who knows? When I first heard that Bebop was going to be a live action, I cringed a lot, but I also kind of felt that if they're going to do an anime, this is the one you do. I saw the Ghost in the Shell movie and felt weird. They got the aesthetics right, but they didn't get the story right. And of course, the whole Scarlett Johansson thing is what it is. They've done stuff like Death Note and whatever. That's too Japanese to even bother trying to do live action. I don't know why they did it. Bebop, to me, again, this is if, say, I was in the director's chair and I had to do, like, how do I translate Bebop into something? Well, I take something that worked in other shows and I say, what can I model this after? And I go to Guardians of the Galaxy and Mandalorian. And then you do splashes of other things. Because from Guardians of the Galaxy, you have the ragtag bunch of weirdos that sort of get along, but are there by choice and chance and whatever. But they have a common goal. They are trying to survive because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make money. So they got to go around and do stuff. From the Mandalorian, you take the, oh, here's a job. I'm going to do the job. Let's do the job. So it's more a comedic form of Mandalorian, you know. I don't see why that's going to be so hard. I get, like, you have millions of mobster movies to throw in the Spike, Julia, and Vicious storyline. It's not that difficult. Now, again, is it a one-to-one? No. Do I think that adding in Tank as the, like, it's going to feature Tank. It's going to be so awesome. It's going to feature the Yoko Kano music. That's awesome, but that's not enough. But it also has to say, you have to feel like the show, but you also have to take from what worked in other American shows. Because to me, Mandalorian is the bounty hunter thing. Guardians of the Galaxy is the crazy ragtag group of idiots thing. So you have these two or three things that should meld together and work. What are my interpretations? How do I think it's going to be? And what's going to happen when I come on, come here next week and review the thing once I'm done binge-watching it? What? I'm probably going to be disappointed. I'm not going to lie. Um, again, I don't think you can translate a Japanese show. As gateway as this is, and Bebop is the least Japanese show I can think of. <laughs> of any Japanese anime, right? But if you're going to do it, you're going to do it with a property that at least appeals to... Like, people love space drama stuff. People love bounty hunting and spaghetti westerns and all that kind of crap. It should be easy to do. 
Now, adding to the Spike Vicious and Joy storyline or adding to Faye's storyline of not knowing who she is, that's cool. I'd like to learn more about Jet when he was a police officer. Maybe do some flashbacks. I don't know how many episodes they're going to do. So I don't have high hopes, but I'm still going to watch it and try and see what they try and do with it. If they try and stick to the source material, that's fine. But it's not such a rigid show that you have to. If you have the spirit of what the characters feel like and act like and the show looks like the part, I think I'm going to be okay with it. It's a stylistic show with a lot of weight to it. Bebop, going back to it, is a very good show that you can show kids, adults, fans of space dramas, face of crime dramas, fans of whatever. There's a lot to like, and there's a lot that could go wrong but I'm hopeful with a little bit of uh, trepidation. I, th- I believe that's the word. I'm, 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 I'm cautiously not optimistic, but I'm hopeful it's not as bad as I expect it to be because there's not a good track record for these things. But that doesn't mean that it can't be enjoyable. So as far as the wrap-up goes... Watch the anime. There is no reason not to watch it. There is absolutely no reason that you shouldn't ever watch Bebop because this is an amazing show that has so much for anyone to watch. The animated or the live action show, we'll see. But I want to see it. I'm curious and we'll see how that goes. As far as what's coming up next, we've got that live action review next week once I'm done watching the show. We've got Phoenix Wright, uh, Ace Attorney. I'm working my way through that. I'm almost done with that. And I should be ready for that. And then we'll get to that later. I do know that next month before The Matrix Resurrections, I will do a review of The Animatrix, which was an interesting uh, thought experiment when they added that to The Matrix lineup. It's I don't know if it's canon or not, but it's it's an animated uh, like short story compilation with all these different like mo- animation studios in Japan and you know CG there was old school anime you know almost like Ghibli looking stuff there was tons of CG stuff there's all, a lot of hand drawn all the stuff revolving around different aspects of the matrix and it even included Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss in cameos in different episodes which is cool So we'll get to that before the movie comes out. I have it all structured for the next month or so. But for now, I'll call it a day. Hope you guys enjoyed my episode. Please like, share, and subscribe. And it's Citizen Strive signing off.